Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Paul was making his defense before the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, and he saw that uh, they were consisting of Pharisees and Sadducees. And so he talks about how he is a Pharisee, the son of Pharisees, and he was on trial for the hope of the resurrection. Uh, And this set them ablaze. This had them arguing among themselves. Well, of course, there was in some way uh, uh, the realization that Paul was on trial for uh, resurrection. Jesus had been raised from the dead, and so it was really uh, the main issue uh, that the Jews would not accept that Jesus really was the Messiah who had died and come back to life. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees were arguing among themselves, and Paul was in danger of being torn to pieces. Now, in our passage today, uh, we're going to see what happens uh, after this as the Jews continue to resent Paul and seek to do something about his ministry. Acts chapter 23, and we're going to start reading at verse 12. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. And they went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of it, heard of their ambush, and so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than forty of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready two hundred soldiers with seventy horsemen and two hundred spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency the Governor Felix. Greetings. 
This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there was a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. On the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he from, was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. So we have here uh, the next day after Paul has been in the Sanhedrin, and the great and violent debate ensues, the Jews plot together to kill Paul. They're so devout and serious with their desire that they make an oath that they will neither eat nor drink until they had killed the man, in verse 12. This shows their strong desire to destroy him, thinking him so great a threat to their uh, religious practices. We are told that there were more than 40 who had made this conspiracy. These men go to the chief priests and elders, the Sanhedrin, and tell them of their desire. They say, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you are going to determine this case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Verses 14 and 15. The plot is that they're going to pretend that they will hear Paul's case and render a judgment to the Roman tribune. But when the apostle was en route to them, they would kill him before he arrived. Fortunately, the son of Paul's sister, his, his nephew, hears of the ambush of the Jews. And so he went into the barracks and tells Paul what they're plotting. Verse 16. Paul sends his nephew to the Roman tribune by way of the centurion, saying, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to say to him. The centurion brings the young man to the tribune, and the tribune asks him what it is he has to tell him. This is said privately, so uh, perhaps there is even a possibility that some of the guards were in league with the Sanhedrin or had been bought off by the, the Jewish ruling council. He doesn't speak this pri publicly, but privately with the youth. Paul's nephew tells the tribune in private that the Jews have agreed to ask him to bring Paul before the council tomorrow to inquire again more closely about his case. Then he warns the tribune not to be persuaded by them because more than 40 of their men were waiting in ambush for Paul, and these 40 had bound themselves with an oath neither to eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. The tribune dismissed the young man, charging him not to tell anyone that this had been reported to him in verse 22. 
He probably wanted to make sure that Paul was safe, and again, at this point, didn't know who he could trust, even among his own guard, his cohort. The tribune now faced a difficult situation. He did not want to cause further uproar in his city, but he also did not want to allow a Roman citizen like Paul to be wrongly convicted. So his solution was to call two centurions and charge them to get ready those under their charge. Remember, each Roman centurion is in charge of a century, a hundred soldiers. So two would be 200 soldiers, along with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night, or about 9 o'clock p.m. He commands the centurions to prepare mounts for Paul to ride along and to bring him safely to Felix, the governor of Judea, who was residing in Caesarea. Caesarea was the normal place that the governor would have resided uh, at this time. So the tribune writes a letter to Felix to this effect, meaning it was it said something like this, Luke writes, uh, but not these exact words. And so the letter said something like, Claudius Lysias, this was the name of the Roman tribune, and shows how in Roman letters, the author would normally identify themselves first. In our letters today, authors write their names at the end of letters. But back in the first century, it was common practice to present yourself first. He addresses his letter to His Excellency, the Governor Felix, along with the word greetings. The tribune then identifies the issue. Paul was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when he, the tribune, Claudius Lysias, came upon him and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. Well, this is very close to the truth, but notice how it puts the Roman tribune in a little bit better light here uh, than perhaps the events are strictly recorded by Luke in verse 27. Then he recounts how he took him before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish uh, ruling council, desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him in verse 28. The result, according to the tribune, was that he found he was being accused about questions of the law of the Jews, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. Now, this is significant because the, the tribune, in the eyes of the tribune, Paul did not deserve either to be killed or to be put into prison. So he is already rendering a verdict uh, softly for Governor Felix to receive as he receives Paul and the case about Paul. Then he explains in his letter the reason he was having Paul sent to Caesarea. He reveals the plot against Paul and says once he learned of it, he had Paul sent to Felix at once, immediately, and also ordered his accusers to state their case before him in Caesarea, in verse 30. The result of this was that the soldiers took Paul and brought him by night to a, a Roman fortress called uh, Antipatris, which was on the way to Caesarea in verse 31. It was also the Old Testament site of Aphek. The next day, the soldiers returned to Jerusalem and let the horsemen continue to deliver Paul towards Caesarea in verse 32. 
The horsemen took Paul the rest of the way and presented the letter of Claudius Lysias to the governor Felix in Caesarea, along with Paul himself. When Felix had read the letter, then he asked Paul which province he was from. And when Paul told him that he was from Cilicia, which would have been known to Felix, Felix told him that he would have a hearing when his accusers arrived. Until then, Paul was held by guards in Herod's Praetorium, the area that Roman soldiers held prisoners in in Caesarea. These events take place in verses 34 and 35. All of the events that transpire here in chapter 23 recall the words of the Lord Jesus to the Apostle Paul in chapter 23 and verse 11, and I'll read that again. The Lord Jesus said to Paul, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Paul would now have the opportunity to influence political leaders throughout the remainder of the book of Acts. He had already had the opportunity to make his defense before the Jews, and then once more before the leaders of the Jews. And now he is going to be, he's taken to Caesarea, he's standing before the Roman governor Felix. He'll have the opportunity to speak into the ear of the, the governor, the Roman governor of the province of Judea. And as we go through the remainder of the chapters in the book of Acts, we will see him testifying before other leaders, other rulers, and then finally making his way all the way to Rome and having an audience before the most powerful human man in the world at this time, Caesar himself. So Jesus, in preparing Paul for all of these things, in the night that he was imprisoned before this plot transpired, reminded him that as he had testified to the facts about him in Jerusalem, so he must also testify in Rome. That would have given Paul great assurance, even in the midst of these plots, that ultimately it was the Lord's will to bring him from Jerusalem through Caesarea, across the Mediterranean world, to Rome to testify to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash